Welcome to Just to Know You, the podcast that interviews regular people at SAES and finds out they are far from regular. That's right. I'm your host, Darian Batten. And I'm Angela Kerskadden. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to Just to Know You podcast. I am joined by two guests today that I've been very excited to interview and I'm glad our times finally worked out today. I have Martin Herman and his lovely wife, Carol, and you're going to have to help me with your last name. Mm -hmm. Carol Henriot. It's a hard one. It's a hard one. Aren't you Canadian? I know. (laughs) I'm supposed to be Canadian, (laughs) but I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. So... Thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited to today talk about your journey and how you got to SAES. And then also, I would love for us to chat about raising trilingual children. We'll kind of take it from the beginning. Maybe I'll start with you, Martin. Tell me about where you come from and where you grew up. Okay. And you know what? I'm just uh, remembering that I should probably mention to um, the listeners that you are currently, um, both of you currently teach at Ross Turner Middle School. So you're kind of just down the road from me. All right. I am uh, American, originally from Dallas, Texas. And I get a lot of people that expect Texans to speak differently than I do. And I, uh, I try to tell people that Dallas is a lot more diverse than people think. And they're not all cowboys. But I also come from a kind of tri or bicultural bilingual family myself. And my father was German and he immigrated to the U.S. in the late 50s. And my mother was Argentinian and she immigrated to the U.S. in the late 60s. And they met in Dallas. And, and that's, uh, that's kind of my, my background. And I was lucky to grow up bilingual and, uh, and speak Spanish and English. I didn't uh, live with my father since my parents divorced, but I got a light dose of German on weekends when I saw him. But then he uh, sent me to summer to summer language schools in Germany when I was in high school, and I eventually became fluent in German. It helped that I had family living there that I could spend time and visit. So I, I lucked into being multilingual. Oh, that's wonderful. So at home, your mom spoke to you in Spanish, and then... I spoke English with my dad growing up until I learned German fluently in t- high school, and then we switched into German and never switched back into English again. Where did you go after um, high school? Uh, I stayed in Texas and went to school in Austin, but I started already doing study abroad and exploring my future career as an international teacher without knowing it and um, had a summer in Russia, a semester in Germany, a semester in Spain, and then before graduate school also had a year in Germany again. So I was in Texas, but I was dipping in and out of Texas through study abroad programs and then went to graduate school in Arizona and then moved to Houston. And then, then the story gets interesting finally. It sounds interesting so far. Um, when you were doing all of your studying abroad, was that all in education? Uh, no, no, I was I was studying geology. So those were I was doing uh, basically my bachelor's in geology, but I was taking the courses in German or in Spanish. Oh wow! In Russia, Russia was just language. When I was in Russia, it was just to like uh, try to learn Russian. How did that go? Uh, not too well, because I didn't have a strong background when I first got there, and I learned a lot more when I came back, but it, it was sort of too early for me. So my, my Russian is still a beginner-level Russian. Well, it's amazing that you have any. At this point in your life where you've kind of zipped, zoom, zoomed us through your like high school years to college, you, you speak Spanish, German, and 
English and a little bit of Russian right now. I, I studied Russian, but okay. it's, it's, it's um, weak, but I like trying anyway. <laughs> all right. I'm going to jump over to Carol. Um, where do you come from? So I was uh, born and raised in France, so I'm 100% French. I'm not as exciting as uh, Martin. Um, and uh, yeah, so I grew up in France. Um, in France, I guess in high school, you sort of study um, the area, you, you choose the area of studies that you want to do. And so languages was my, um, uh, my forte, I would say. So I studied um, in high school, particularly I studied uh, English, Spanish and German, uh, never to the extent of Martin. But then I knew that I wanted to do something with English. So after high school, I, um, my parents knew that I wanted to speak fluently English. So we did some research and I went right after high school uh, to the US for what was supposed to be a year for me to learn English. So I went to Texas and I went, I guess because from France where education is free, going into the U.S. required me to have to pay out of state, out of everything tuition. So that was really expensive. So the, and after research, we figured that central South U.S. is where colleges seem to be cheaper. So um, my parents sent me for one year to a community college in East Texas for cultural uh, discoveries. <laughs> Not too far from Dallas, interestingly enough. An hour, yeah, an, was it an hour or maybe two hours yeah, from Dallas? Half, something like that. So I went to East Texas and I went, and after a year, I said, well, I'd like to stay. I, I would like to, to continue studying in the US. I really loved it. And my parents, my mother particularly said, well, if you're gonna stay, then you have to do, you have to complete a degree. So you have to then, I guess, do four years. The place where I was was a community college, so you could only do two years, which took me a little longer because I had a whole first uh, semester of English uh, as a second language. So I did two years and a, and a half there, and then I transferred to Louisiana, which was another, it's another state where tuitions are not so expensive. And it wasn't far because I was on my own, so moving I wasn't going to go across the country, so I moved to LSU, and I continued to study there. So I studied English, and then once I had English under my belt, then I was like, ah, this is kind of boring. So I started to take classes in Spanish, <laughs> and that became more exciting. I also moved in with um, my roommates who were all from South America because the, the community in, uh, in LSU had a lot of uh, international students. So I picked up Spanish and I double majored in that. I also studied French literature there and got a scholarship. Don't tell the Louisiana state that I got a scholarship as a French person. <laughs> it was, to be fair, it was a scholarship to, that promoted French. So it was all about promoting French. But then when I finished, I tried to get a job as a teacher, but it was hard because I couldn't get something right straight out of uh, as a with my bachelor's, so I went back and did a master's degree for um, at LSU. And then after that, again searching for work, I looked close by because on my own I couldn't move too far away. So I started working in Houston 
and I taught there for five years. And, um, and then after those five years, I was like, okay, I've got to do something else. I wanted, I've always wanted to go to South America. So I, uh, applied for international schools in South America, but ended up in Thailand after that. So oh, I guess okay. that's, that's where we sort of join up in our stories. That's what my next question was. Tell me when the, <laughs> yeah. when you've come together it was in Thailand. No, actually, right before I I was signed to move to Thailand and uh, Martin and I had met a couple of times, but we started uh, dating then. And so I guess it became more serious. So I moved to Thailand and he stayed in Texas for six months and we decided to try it for real. So he took a sabbatical from, from his geology work. (laughs) <laughs> that uh, he never went back to. <laughs> and uh, Martin and I had met a couple of times, but we started uh, dating then. And-, and you were both in Houston. Okay. And then you went, and then you were be and you were working as a geologist. Right. And so when do you become a teacher? Uh, in Thailand after, so six months after she moved, I moved. And then Six months after that, I signed up for a program to get certified and get a master's in education. And I could do it online while during the school year in Thailand, but I had to do summers in residence in, uh, in the state of Virginia. And so I was lucky because in Thailand, there's enough schools that have demands for teachers um, that with a background in geology, uh, the school said, okay, you're signed up for an education program and you're a, you have a degree in geology, so we can let you do some math science. You can do some ESL and we'll, I, they, they trusted me with the background that I had to say, okay, you've given us enough to, to say you can work even though you're not certified. But again, it was, it was a kind of, it was a very, very, very small international school, 80 kids pre-K through 12 that I got my first opportunity. And then since you've been overseas teaching, what countries have you um, taught at? So we stayed in Thailand for six years. Then we moved to Turkey for four years, moved back to Thailand after that for another two years and came here four years ago. Okay. Now, knowing how linguistic you are, how is your Thai and Turkish? So uh, I would definitely say, like, I thought I was good with languages and then I met Martin. So he kind of just. (laughs) No, no, we have we have different styles. I'm a book learner. So I read the grammar book at the beach and she's a street learner. So she picks up what it takes me a year to pick up in a book. If she's got the right street environment, she'll pick it up in a week. But when you're in an international community, it's hard always to get into those communities of native speakers and locals. So I am at a slight advantage because I can always break into the book, whereas she might not break into the, the local community. Yeah, the, the books don't attract me as much, for sure. <laughs> I'm a practical learner. Yeah. But we are, are Thai, in Thailand, I mean, we were there a total of eight years with a good six years single with no family re- sure. requirements yeah. so, and and there were a lot of uh we lived in the center of the city um there was a lot of uh exchanges with the community and and in the environment so our tie i would say is the strongest uh you know out of the, all the countries where we've lived because after that 
um, either there was, you know, here there's so very little contact with uh, Arabic speakers um, or it defaults to English right away because the community we're around is educated and they're educated in English. So there's very little uh, exchanges there. And then Turkey, I think uh, we, I mean, we had two kids and, it, you know, we became parents and those were the early ages where we just... That, we couldn't really spend that much time um, interacting with Turkish. But yeah, those were busy days. Yes, they were really busy days. Um, but yeah, so I would say the tie is, and Martin, Martin is, those first six months when he joined me and he wasn't working, he was on my sofa on his in, in his tie book. Ah, so good for I you. I was like, who's this dude that's just sitting sleeping on my sofa <laughs> and just, he spends his days studying Thai. My charm wore off quick. <laughs> You're like, I don't know about this guy. <laughs> yeah, touch um, and go there for a minute. When you guys, when you look back on all, like you kind of have, you have a lot of chapters in your lives, you know, like I think some people, they just kind of, uh, they have bigger chunks of it. You've been on the, on the move a little bit. When you look back into your life at your different chapters, which chapter do you look at? with kind of the most, the fondest memories and which chapter has been like the hardest? I'll start with you, Martin. As Carol mentioned, she hinted at the fondness already that in Thailand, we spent six years pre-kids. Right. And so <laughs> there was a lot of flexibility, a lot of uh, let's drive to the beach this weekend and uh, and a lot of exploration that we, that we did that we were, we, we, I'm not sure if we've ever matched that kind of uh, activity and, and exploration and digging into the culture. And of course, no fault of our kids. We love them dearly, but of course, with, of with course. Them, it's a lot more challenging to get around and to take places. And when you've got three, the plane tickets add up fast. And so that's a, but again, I, I guess I would say that from that sort of, when you think about, one of the big reasons you go overseas as a international teacher uh, is about the cultural understanding and the cultural learning is I think we probably had the most of that in Thailand. And so that, that to me is, I think there's always going to be a sort of a special place that we haven't had. We haven't been able to do the same in other countries quite as deeply. And we always think like, Oh, that we, we, we finished, but we, we barely scratched the surface. I would, yeah, definitely like that. As a person, I don't like to have favorites. I feel like people always ask, like, what was your favorite country? What's your favorite food? I'm just like, every country, every experience is is very special. So I would say, that, you know, there's always been something that we can look back for each of our experiences. There's something to, to cherish and, and look forward to. I, like, I agree, obviously, with Martin. We, you know, as a couple being together as singles in Thailand, there's so many adventures that we, we were able to have. But I was also a single independent woman in the U.S. for 10 years. And I've had, you know, I look back on those 10 years in the U.S. is so rich because I learned. I mean, I, be, you know, I learned all about the American culture, not all the culture, but I learned a lot about the American culture. I learned English. I also became a Spanish speakers in the U.S. And I learned a lot about 
the Central South American culture without ever traveling there because of my community. And then when I started to work in the U.S., in the Houston, I was able to travel to South America. So to me, those are very special memories in my book as well, with before Martin. So uh, What? Yeah, <laughs> there were some good times. <laughs> Um, what was it about America to you that um, that appealed to you at that age and at that time? Because I imagine there must have been some very noticeable cultural differences moving from France to America, especially all in, on, on your own. But what is it that you loved about it? I think it's that naive perception that every teenager has like I hear <laughs> I I go back to friends and I hear like in America you can be anything you want you can do everything you know it was that it was that freedom it was just like this perception that the U.S. is better but really it was the language the language I, I just wanted to like I wanted to be a native speaker I wanted to speak fluently like small anecdote, but when I moved to this small community college, we went through this association and it ended up being this French guy. He shipped. There were in that small place, there were 23 French people. And I landed there and I was like, wait a minute, I'm going to the U.S. to be immersed. And there's all these French people around me. And I became like the black sheep because I was like, sorry, I'm not talking to you. So I was like, I never spoke to them for that whole year. But I was like, I'm paying a lot of money to be here to learn English. I don't want to hang out with you guys. We've, well, that's amazing because that. I, know, I was going to say, we've met a couple of them since then, years, years, years later, and none of them speak as good English as Carol does. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, honestly, I mean, that was, and that would have been so easy, right? It's comfortable hanging out with people that. You don't have to think about it. I mean, I, I do not speak another language, but when I was traveling through Central America, I went to Spanish school and then I came home and lived with a family um, for a little bit. I was exhausted because we were at school all day learning and then came home and then you're trying to be polite and speak at the at the dinner table and um, then do your homework at night. I can't, I can't imagine how you did that for a year. <laughs> it's like, it's, a, it's, it's exhausting to learn a new language, isn't it? Um, okay. So here's a question that I've been, I, I always, every time I see you guys like walking on the path or uh, on the beach or like, I, I'm always like, what language are they speaking to each other? So <laughs> how, what language do you two communicate to one another? So I, we speak Spanish. That's how we okay. met. Um, we, we met, yeah, through the Spanish speaking community and in, in the U.S. And that was sort of the charm from my selling point that was his selling point <laughs> <laughs> he sold himself as a i don't know if i can say this here no i don't think i can like the latin lover um, <laughs> and i later learned that he was just a german not quite as exciting <laughs> <laughs> not yet not yet let's have a growth mindset <laughs> Um, so, okay. So you met, so you guys, you communicate in, in Spanish. So now I want to talk about your family and you guys have, um, just to let the listener know, you have three kids. Can you remind us of the ages of your, um, children? Yeah. Thomas just turned 11. Olivia is eight and a half. She'll tell you. And Mateo is almost seven. We go every, uh, every two years, basically. 
And so before Thomas was born, did you ever have a conversation about what language you will speak to him in? Did you have many conversations? Was this a debate? Was this a, or was this an easy decision? I think it was pretty clear that we were going to keep all three languages. That's, that's sort of, I mean, it's our passion, both of our passions. So it was pretty clear that I had to pay money and work, like you said, like so hard. Martin was born bilingual and almost try like he worked for his German, but it, you know, it was a gift. Whereas like I worked hard, this wasn't given. And so I, we said, of course we will, we will speak as many, give them as many languages as, as they can. And so how do you raise trilingual children? What is it that you do? <laughs> we struggle. This <laughs> <laughs> cannot be easy. Yeah, especially when uh, the English, uh, when the language of Rastanura is English and the language of the school is English and they interact in English at school. So it's an it's a, it's a uphill battle all the time. I think you have to have faith that, you know, in the long run, we've met enough people that have, were raised with parents that, you know, taught them a second language and they say, it was so hard and I hated my parents, but then I'm so grateful that they resisted and they kept at it and they maintained because now I have that language. So we know that, we know that it's hard work, but we know that it pays off. What language do they watch TV in? Thanks to Netflix and Disney Plus these days, having all these languages, we we sort of made this little rule saying like, when we watch movies, it's got to be not in English. Even if the movies aren't originally in French or Spanish, we we watch the dub version of it. And uh, so, but, but then if they watch on their own or if they're on a plane, obviously they're going to choose English. Although sometimes, you know, I can quickly snap it into French or Spanish on Mateo but uh but so for that we've we've tried to that's one of the things where we said okay and, and we can sort of reason with them and say kids you, you we've got to do it in those languages because you've got to get some extra practice so that's yeah. that for tv and movies we try to use French and Spanish Okay. And then, so I should have mentioned this because I think I know it. So Carol, you, when you communicate with your children, you always do it in, in French. Correct. And then Martin, when you communicate with the children, you always do it in Spanish. Mm -hmm. And because Carol knows Spanish, she can pick up everything that goes on when I'm speaking Spanish. And I've over 15 years have gotten good enough French, especially when she was raising the kids in French to follow along all the conversations. Okay. So we have kind of multilingual conversations. I was going to ask you about your French. Like like when you guys travel to France, Martin, can you survive on your own and go get groceries and like communicate and find He's him? fluent. He's fluent. Ah, ah, oh, okay, well, okay. So you, yeah. I, well, I've I've kind of learned French the way that Carole would learn best. Is I've just picked it up there on the streets and with family and through the patience and grace of the family when I sit in silence for years and then start talking a little bit, and then a little more. And 15 years later, I'm like, oh, I, I can say this stuff now. Yeah, that's like amazing. Said, that, that's gotten me close enough. But my kids can probably um, speak and understand much better French than me. Um, right. I might have them on reading. But I can, I can follow along when she speaks in French. And so your books at home are always French or, or, I mean, what do you do when they bring home their books from school and they have to practice their books from school, but you also want them to be reading in Spanish and in French? Our reading time at night is very complicated and long. 
and it, it, it it's it's a long process because we it used to be we had all the kids in one room for a long time because then uh, they would uh, they would read their book maybe when when Thomas started reading he might read a book and then we would switch and I would read a book in English and Martin would read a book in in French or oh, Spanish and now we are they're all three are reading so we let them read at their own pace they read in English and then we jump and take turns and go and read at least a book or a chapter or something to each one of them uh, whether it's in French or Spanish they don't get they, they might have gotten two languages a night <laughs> now it's like one parent comes and we read in in whatever we can I, I imagine this has got to be difficult in the, in the beginning in the beginning because we were so motivated to let them hear our languages we would actually it didn't matter what book we picked up and what language it was we would read it to them in our in the language we spoke to them in yeah, we so did. we would have oh. English books and I would be, we would be translating it as we read it. And it, so we would read it in English, but it would come out of our mouth in French or Spanish. So what if it was, what if it was that. a rhyming book? Yeah. It, it lost, <laughs> it lost a lot of the magic. Okay. It, it, it didn't rhyme in French and Spanish. Right. And don't tell our kids it ever did in English. All right. <laughs> I'm sure they had no idea. I'm sure it was still magical. It did affect me, though. I remember several times making, you know, just doubting because I was like, but this is the beauty of reading, you know, a kid's book is the, is the rhyme and, the, you know, the use of the words. Like, there's so much power to that. And us translating it, I was like, I don't know that we're doing them a favor because we're, you know, in a, in a way we're stealing their vocabulary in English that they need for school, we're not giving them that by translating it. So I think that that was definitely a battle to choose. Are, are you at all concerned or do you work on just kind of like spelling or those kinds of things in Spanish and French and writing or, or are you kind of just working on like auditory and so initially, when Thomas started to read, I started to do a little bit of phonetic reading for him in French. I haven't been able to maintain it just for what we just said. Like there's there's too much reading with too many kids, with too many languages. Like just we got to choose our battles. And then I think I we had always said French because I have family, because we travel to France, um, it we've sort of maybe admitted or uh, accepted that French is going to be their second strongest language. They have more input in French than in Spanish. This is the one that's hard because we want them to be able to, to read and, and write more in it, but I haven't been able to sustain the lessons. However, I've finally found a teacher and just for this podcast, I can now say they're taking <laughs> French lessons. <laughs> they That's had one awesome. lesson. And the, the fascinating part is because we've been reading to them. So for me, I'll just say that I've been reading to them in French and they, they read with us, right? They are looking at the images. So they have, I think, have been able to learn to read over my shoulder, um, and even though, you know, we never hear them really read out loud in French, but 
when I read now to Thomas, I know he's reading with me because he'll correct me. He says, no, that's not what, you know, what this per- character is saying. So he reads over, but there's a, as we know, French is challenging the phonetics, the accents, the sounds. So even though they can read, there's some words that they just, they get, they get stuck on. And that's why I wanted them to also have the lesson so that they can learn you know, the detail of it. But it's hard for me to sit down and find the time to actually teach them that. You did leave out, though, that in the summers, um, that there's a very light uh, work we do with them because France has a culture of summer workbooks that are supposed to be grade level appropriate and light, fun activities, but still cover lots of different subjects. They're short, they're light. And so our kids are not up to grade level, but we can always find some grade level that works with them and then kind of walk them through a page a day type of thing. And that's sort of the model they're designed for like a, day, a page or two a day. And so there's that's where they've gotten some exposure to. That, that takes a lot of effort in the in your summertime to say, all right, come inside. Let's yeah. go leave the beach early or whatever. It's hard to be consistent with it, but some summers are better than others in in, you know, just getting, it depends on the mood, but if one kid is, you know, selling it as, oh, I want to do it, then they all want to do it. But just like that lesson from last week, the the teacher sent some, some reading and, you know, I was listening to them read to her and it, you know, it was very like hesitant and, and challenging. And then I printed those reading and I read with them last night and I was blown away how, like they can, they can read it, you know, they of course they get stuck on a couple of words, but it was much better with me than it was with her. I think they were a bit intimidated. Yeah. It gives me really hope that they're going to be able to, to grow from that. If we can keep these lessons happening. Yeah. I'm, I'm also not too focused on Spanish because Spanish is a, in terms of reading and writing, Spanish is very much, it's, it's a much more, what you see is what you get language when it comes to reading it and writing it than French is. And I actually, much like my kids, I, I only spoke Spanish and wrote a little bit until I was in high school. And then I started actually, I jumped into like Spanish as an 11th and 12th grader, except for the purpose of being able to read and write it. And it, again, it's, it's such a, like the sounds and the letter correspondences are so straightforward compared to French that it's, our kids can almost do it already without ever having been taught to, to read Spanish. They can pretty. They can decode it and, and they figure it out. They're kind of like, oh, this is that and that's that. Whereas in French, that's you need to know a little bit more about what letters make what sound and what combinations do. How often does it happen to you guys and your children where you mean to say something and you say it in the in a different language? I think that happens to me a lot more than Martin. Uh, he's really, really good at. I mean, his Spanish is also stronger, so he will really stick to it. So our, our agreement in the family is that when we're together, we, I'm, like, I speak a little bit more Spanish. You know, as you mentioned like, earlier, by the end of the day, I've taught in French, you know, there's been English and Spanish is definitely out of the three, that's going to be my weaker language. And by the, the evening come, my brain is tired and I can't find the words. So it's often that I will struggle at night and just think like, oh, like this would come so much easier to me in English. Or And so there will be, I will be the one that 
break and and use English sometimes too because I'm just I'm just yeah. tired. Yeah, sure. <laughs> we also do I think what most multilingual speakers do is we do a lot of sort of like random insertions of words that for whatever reason that word is a context that it's more French or it's more English and we'll use it and sometimes that's convenience and sometimes it's just because that's the context the a language can be a context for a certain word or something but our, our kids on the other hand they'll they'll uh they'll switch languages a lot because they're still kind of they go they don't think as much about it so whatever comes out easiest is most likely to come out and we have to remind them a lot yeah you'll hear us being the sort of strict like we're always going to speak spanish and french then they're going to be speaking english with a mix of french and remember to speak in Spanish to me and okay. And then they start in Spanish and then eventually somehow swap switch back into English. It is a battle. Like it, it is a challenge every meal that, you know, Martin is, you know, very strict with that. And he'll say like, Inglés o español, uh, no, español o francés, español o francés. And it's so hard to push it because that means every sentence we have to just ask them to say it again. And they don't want to do it. They've already said what they wanted to. So they don't want to have to repeat it again in French. Or Martin will just like translate what they just said. And it, it really is. We're Google translators, you know, constantly. So that's that's a lot of effort. That's so everything is longer. Our meals are longer. <laughs> can you tell me more about like you have to tra you translate what they say? Like if they say it in, can, can you explain that a little bit more? I don't actually know if that even works, but basically what I do is if they will say something to me in English, I'll repeat it, but I'll say it in Spanish. So if they say, can I, can I go outside and play in English? You will say, are you asking me if you want to go outside and play? Like you'll say it back in, in Spanish? Yeah, more or less. It's kind of the equivalent of if, if you're with your children, you want them to say please and thank you, or you want them to say things in the politer way. Sometimes you'll model it and you'll say it in the polite way, like, is, you, you mean this? And then the, the impression, the implication is now you're going to repeat what I just showed you how to say so that you're now speaking politely or using the word thank you or something. So that's kind of the, the model I'm using. But again, it's, <laughs> I think it, it's harder on Carol than it is on the kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And what about like when they were infants and you were speaking two languages and when they came to school, they would probably have only have spoken Spanish and French. Like, did was that, was it difficult for them to categorize the like, oh, this is French, this is English and this is Spanish? Or do you think they kind of just figured that out? I, I have a, I have a memory of that question when we left Turkey specifically because it blew my mind. Thomas was about two and a half when we left no, he was older. He was maybe three and a half, somewhere on there. And he, at that point, his only English came from his nanny, who was uh, Filipino. She was the only person he spoke English with. So his English was very minimal and just, he used it with her. Again, me, Spanish, Carol, French, and we had put him in a local school. So from 20 months on, Thomas went to a little Turkish day. It was, it was called a school, but you know, it wasn't too academic. It was just, that's what it was. And so when we let, and the school would always tell us, they're like, He's not fluent. He can't produce as much as the kids his age and the Turks, but he understands everything we tell him. And he would say some things to them. If you're, if his mind had a context compartment for it, like this is my Turkish school. So it happens in Turkish. 
This is the nanny I speak English with. So it happens in English. This is my dad who I speak Spanish with. And it didn't seem to short circuit his brain. It just, obviously it, it would take longer to develop because he's juggling four at the same time. And it, it really did seem like if that was school, then that was Turkish. I had no idea that Thomas was learning Turkish. I, I taught, this is just for the listeners, I taught Thomas in first grade. And I remember a day where he's like, uh, I, it was a science word. And he said, I don't know this word in English. And then I was like, well, I took a little Spanish and I took a little French. So I was like, <laughs> hit me with it. And he said it in Spanish. And I was like, mm, I don't know that one. So then he said it in French. And I was like, nope, sorry, I am no help. We're going to go Google this. <laughs> but I mean, like, it was just so cool. I think I like went home and told Kevin that story because I was like, how cool. This kid knew it in two other languages, but we had to figure out what it was in English. So, you know, every school year you get to ask, um, you know, you, you can fill out the survey at school about without saying, you know, what teacher you want, but you can have a, a note. And mine has always been for all of them if they can have somebody who has a language. So this year, Mateo, I mean, he had Andres last year and then this year he has Miss De La Rey. And I think she she uses a lot more Spanish because she's got maybe five Spanish speakers in her class. So she uses it a lot. And I mean, I don't know if that's, you know, it, I think it, it weighs for him because he has somebody else other than, you know, dad or me sometimes speaking Spanish. And he's, it's, it's showing him the value that he, it's practical, right? He's used, using it in, in, a, in the context of school. And we've, you know, we've watched him, uh, using a lot more Spanish this year. How old was he when he was saying like he didn't speak it? Um, Mateo. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. He, he, he jokes that maybe a year or two ago, he was like, but how can I speak Spanish at the table? Or he said something, but I don't speak Spanish, Dad. But he, had, he was saying it in Spanish. Oh. <laughs> there was one kid, I think actually it was Olivia, that we took to, to France one summer and she, she was like, I don't, I don't understand French. I don't speak it. And after that summer, it made all the difference. Like it just, the impact our summers have on them is incredible. And that's why we continue to, you know, we split our summers. We started since we were here going part of it in Spain and part of it in France. And in the summers, I mean, not only are we in the, in, uh, you know, Spanish or French speaking, but in France um, and Spanish started last year, we were, were able to sign them up for summer camps so that they're in a social environment also that allows for them to, to use their, their languages. And that makes, I think, that's all the difference. You know, we, we've seen a lot of growth um, when they come back from summer camp after a week or spending the days there that they're, 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 they sound like little Spaniards. Oh, uh, I think, I just think what you guys are doing is, is incredible. It's such an amazing gift that you're giving to your children. And um, I know you, you, you said it, but I know that <laughs> I know one day they're going to thank you. I mean, <laughs> they have, they will be so grateful for just this amazing ability to just grow up speaking three languages. Um, I've already taken a lot of your time, but I have one last question in middle school at Rastanura elementary or middle school. Uh, will they take Arabic class as their language? I think it's fortunate that they are going to learn Arabic because then we finally will get a chance to like learn it ourselves, which right. we haven't. And so we can look over there and be like, there no, you go. Arabic. 
they're going to be teaching you some language. Um, Well, you guys are just uh, super interesting. And I've always kind of knew kind of bits about you and your past and everything. And so this has just been really um, wonderful and interesting for me. And I know uh, other people are going to just enjoy your story as much as I have. Thank you so much for your time today. And I I can't wait for this podcast to come out. This episode's going to be fantastic. That was fun. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Just To Know You. We would like to thank our amazing tech man, Mr. Kent Arimura, Sterling McDonald for the podcast music, and the SAES community. See you next time. If you know anyone who you think has a great story to tell, we would love to hear about it. Please send an email to either Angela, Darian, or Kent.